thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on January 30th, 2022. We are in a study of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, and we come today to the most famous passage in the book of Luke, the birth of Jesus. Now, you don't normally hear this from a preacher, but I've talked to enough preachers to know that this passage is sometimes pretty hard to preach on because truth and tradition don't always match. We get pictures in our head from nativity sets and Christmas carols and pageants and Christmas cards and artworks and movies, and those pictures don't always depict reality. For example, the the Bible says nothing about a stable, nothing about a donkey, nothing about an innkeeper. There's no mention of animals being present. We have no idea how many wise men they were, but they weren't kings, and they apparently were not there on the night that Jesus was born. And so we get pictures like this in our mind of a colorful nativity set. Can you dim the backlights there, Bubba? We get pictures like this in our, our mind, an angel with wings, which is not reality. There wasn't one at the birth anyway, peaceful animals. It's more likely that Jesus was born in a place like this, a natural cave outside of town, partially enclosed for people or animals when shelter was required. Now, now that may destroy your image But I wanted to do that before we read the passage. Because I don't want you to think of the nativity set. I want you to think of what the Bible actually says. So get the accumulated artwork of 2,000 years out of your mind. And let's look at the passage itself. So with that introduction, we're going to read Luke chapter 2 and verses 1 through 21. Let's stand together. This incredible passage, the birth of Jesus and the shepherds coming afterwards. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified." But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given to him before he was conceived. You may be seated. And so that's the true story of the birth of Jesus, who had entered into the womb of Mary nine months before that night. It's the most incredible thing that ever happened on earth. God left the glory, the luxury, the majesty, the safety of heaven to come to earth through the womb of a young teenage girl. And then the shepherds, hearing from the angels, came and saw and praised God. Let's watch a short clip of the shepherds coming to find Jesus. Since it's a nighttime scene, we're going to dim all the lights. Let's watch. for all mankind. We are each given a gift. I want us to think about what this story tells us. And as I've been trying to do every week, I've been trying to explain what this passage in Luke tells us first about Jesus and then about us, those of us who want to follow Jesus and who believe in him. And I want to share with you first three things that this story tells us about Jesus and then three ways that it leads us. And so the first thing... I want you to understand is it speaks to his historicity. In other words, Luke is very carefully telling us this is real history, this is truth, it really 
happened, and he gives us the time and the place. He tells us it was in the days of Caesar Augustus while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Augustus is well known historically, and history verifies that a man by the name of Publius Quirinius, what a name, Publius Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and he called for a census in the year of 6 B.C. And Luke also gives the geography, the place. Joseph and Mary left their hometown of Nazareth, a small village of about 400 people, to go to Bethlehem, famous as the anointing place of King David, but another small village of only a few hundred people. So understand what I'm saying. Luke is presenting this as real history. Here was the emperor. Here was the governor. This was the place where they lived. This was the place where they went. And don't think of Nazareth and Bethlehem as famous places. They were little tiny villages famous only because Jesus was born there. So he's presenting this as real history, not a good story, not fiction. You know how fiction starts off once upon a time. No time and no place, or, or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Or my favorite opening line of any book that I've ever read of fiction, there was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. I always loved that line, but it's clear that that's an introduction to fiction. Luke is giving real places, real names, real people. Historians can argue about the timeline of the overlap of Augustus, Quirinius, and Herod, and therefore try and peg the exact date of Jesus's birth. But there is no doubt whatsoever that Luke is talking about real people, a real place, a real thing that really happened. You will find people today who doubt the birth of Jesus but you look at what Luke is doing. He is not presenting a story. He is presenting history. And so that's one thing that Luke tells us in this passage is the historicity of Jesus. And the second thing that I want you to note is how Luke shows the humility of Jesus. Listen, Jesus could have chosen to be born anywhere to anyone at any place at any economic level. That's different than us. We didn't get the choice. God assigned that to us. I've been blessed to be born as a white American in a middle-class family. Jesus humbly chose to be the earthly son of Mary and Joseph. So think of some of what that means. He humbly chose to be born in a minority race that had always been and still is hated. He humbly chose to be born of poor parents from a small town who went to an even smaller town to be born. I don't know how well you know Arizona, but I kind of wanted to give you a, a, a picture. Nazareth was about the size of Winkleman, Arizona, and Bethlehem about the size of Oatman, Arizona. Little tiny places in the middle of nowhere that you and I would never have heard of except for the story of Jesus. And he humbly chose to be born there. That sounds like my phone. That'll cost you 25 bucks, Robert. Um, 
He humbly chose to be born in a place where there was no room and no one willing even to take in a young lady in labor who had to settle for what was most likely a cave. He humbly chose to be born in a family who within a very short time would become refugees in Egypt. And he did all this because he wanted all people to be able to identify with him. He wanted to identify with all human beings. He came not as a God of the great and mighty, but as a God of the poor, the lame, the hurting, the sick, the grieving, the minorities, the misunderstood. He came, as Mary said to the shepherds, for all mankind. And so he chose to be born in the most humble way. So I want you to understand this passage, because we normally just, just read it with great emotion on, on a Christmas Eve service, but what Luke is telling us is, listen, it's historical, it really happened. And two, Jesus himself, God, chose to be born in the most humble of circumstances. And that leads me to the most important thing about Jesus, and that's his identity. This is much more than a great birth story. I have a bunch of those. I mean, I could tell you about high-speed, late-night rides. I could talk to you about long labors. I could talk to you about short labors. With nine kids and eight grandkids, you got a bunch of good stories. I could talk about a doctor who came in with only about 30 seconds to spare, and I asked him if I got a discount because he did next to nothing. He said no, by the way. I could talk to you about big heads. I could talk to you about more great stories, but this is not a great birth story. This is the entrance of God into the affairs of human beings. This is the invasion of earth by heaven. This is the coming of the holy to the unholy, the beginning of the end of Satan's reign and the beginning of the reign of Jesus. This is the moment in which we can all say, God really does care. He didn't stay up there. He came down because he loved me. And so Luke makes that clear. The angels came and they called him Savior. They called him Messiah. They called him Lord. And so I want you to understand this is not just the story of a man, not just the story of a great man, not just the story of the best man who ever lived. This is God who came to earth. And there is no parallel story in all of human history. So about Jesus, it's historical, it's real. It happened. He chose purposely to come to the most humble place and way and family and situation imaginable so that everybody could identify with him and say, he's for me, he loves me, he cares about me. He's not just for the great and mighty, for the one percenters, he's for all of us. And his identity is God. And that is the key truth, I've told you that before, that is the key truth of the Christian faith. We're not just about morality. We're not just about doctrine. We're not just about church and worship. We believe that Jesus is God.
not like God, but that Jesus is God himself who had always existed, who was here before our universe began. That's what we believe about Jesus. So what does it tell us about us and how we're supposed to live? I want to share with you three things. And the first is in the example of the shepherds. And you see it in, in, in the pictures. I thought, again, they did a good job in this movie of, of, of the shepherds coming amazed and awed and even, can I, can I touch him? What I loved about the shepherds was their curiosity, the come and see factor. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off to Bethlehem, found the baby. I picture them up until that last minute of, of running. I mean, let's go to Bethlehem, and the young men outrunning the older men, and then the older men being a little more bold, being the ones to kind of step forward and, and see if they could actually. I love their curiosity. I've got to see. I've got to find out for myself. I'm not just going to accept what the angel said. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Would you have gone? I'm afraid the typical Baptist would have said, Amen, and stayed right there with the sheep. I'm afraid the Pentecostal would have shouted, maybe even rolled down the aisle, and then stayed there with the sheep. How else can you explain the total lack of curiosity that most churchgoers in America, even after having come to church for most of their lives, have never of themselves read the entire New Testament? This is the greatest thing that ever happened, and most of us don't have the curiosity to see, hey, let me see for myself. I'll just trust what Jack says. Don't trust me. Don't trust the songs. Don't trust other preachers. Don't trust history books. If you haven't read the story for yourself, you have an amazing lack of curiosity that makes no sense to anyone. Now, now, what I'm telling you, if this story is true, and I believe with all my heart that it is, it's the most amazing thing that ever happened. If I told you the superheroes were real, and that Superman was outside, and willing to give us a flying demonstration, and talk to us, if Batman was real, if the Flash was really fast, I'm sure we'd check it out. What I'm telling you is much more incredible than that. Not a superhero, but God himself came down. And the book that tells us the story, this book, has changed more lives for good than all of the rest of the books ever published combined. Hundreds of thousands of people have been martyred. Millions actually have been martyred because they believed it, translated it, distributed it, or proclaimed it. You owe it to yourself. If you have any curiosity at all, is God real? Is Jesus real? Is this really Jesus? Is the story true? If you have any curiosity at all, you need to read the story for yourself. Now, I'm not putting down the Old Testament because you ought to read that too. But I'm really saying you ought to focus on the New Testament, the story of Jesus. It's a very short novel-length book. Don't think you have to take a year or two years or three years or six years to read it. I typically read about a book a week. 
Some of you are slower readers than I am. But any of you beyond the third grade could easily read the New Testament in a month. It's not that long. Do you have that curiosity factor? To come and see. I want to know for myself. I don't want to just come to church and, and get a paragraph a week of this. I want to find out for myself. So if we're really followers in believers of Jesus, that, that ought to be a life passion. I need to know if this is true. I need to know what Jesus did. I need to know what Jesus said. I need to know how Jesus thought. I need to know how Jesus wants me to live. And I get that only by firsthand experience. Curiosity. Come and see. And the second thing that, that I want you to see is also from the example of the shepherds, and that's the communication factor, go and tell. The shepherds didn't know everything that we know today. They didn't know about the cross. They didn't know about the resurrection. They didn't know about all the miracles. They didn't have the New Testament written in front of them. But verse 17 and 18 says, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. They weren't rabbis or preachers. They were shepherds. Typical workmen doing their jobs. But they were unafraid to tell the story. And 30 years then, before Jesus began to preach, word of him began to spread. And my hunch is that 30 years later, when Jesus began to preach, people were starting to ask, hey, is this the guy, that old guy, that shepherd, is this the guy that he told us about that was born of a virgin and was in a manger in Bethlehem? They didn't know the whole story, but what they knew, they told completely. Listen, in five years or 30 years from now, will people remember what you're talking about? No one will care in 30 years that I'm talking about my favorite football team or my favorite vacation or my new truck or my favorite meal or my favorite or least favorite politician. All of that will be old news. But if someone remembers that I talked to them about Jesus, that will make an eternal difference. So what are we talking about? The church has to be careful because we're talking about everything but we talk about laws that we want to see passed. We want to endorse politicians. We talk about morality, homosexuality, transgenderism, all of the issues of the day. And I'm not saying those are unimportant issues, but what people really need to hear from the church is that Jesus is God and he offers everlasting life. And if you don't know the whole story, do what the shepherds did. Tell what you know about us. The curiosity. We need to jump into it for ourselves. The communication. We need to go and tell. And the third thing I want you to see is from the example of Mary and Joseph themselves. The obedience factor. The follow through. Verse 21. On the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. God had said, name him Jesus. And they did. And maybe Joseph, growing up, had always kind of wanted to do the, 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 the Jewish thing, 
name him after himself. You know, the firstborn was going to be Joseph or Joey or Joe Jr. And maybe Mary's always wanted to name a baby after um, her, her grandpa. Or maybe they were really cool people and wanted to name their son Theophilus. But God said Jesus. And so on the eighth day when it was time to, to circumcise, and that's when he officially gave the maybe his name. His name is Jesus. Listen, we often make Christianity way too complicated. It's pretty simple. You listen to him, you believe him, and you obey him. You do what he tells you to do with no excuses, no explanations as to how things have changed, no whining, no complicating factors, no analytical circumlocutions that allow you to do what you want to do instead of what God tells you to do, no rationalizations, no procrastinations. God said do it, and so we do it. And so I want you to understand, Christianity is pretty simple when you think about it. Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth, died on the cross, rose again, and is alive today. Believe in him and obey him. Don't make it something that a scientist has to to study to understand. Jesus is the Son of God. He came to earth, born of a virgin Mary, died on a cross, rose on the third day, is alive today. Believe in him, and then because you do, do what he says. That's the heart of our faith. And oftentimes in our in-depth study of Hebrew and Greek and and everything else, we, we overcomplicate it to the fact that people forget what's our story, what's our faith, what's it all about. Jesus is the Son of God. Believe in him. And because you believe in him, follow him. So what am I asking you to do? What's next? I'm going to ask you to do two things. Number one, commit to reading the entire New Testament, even out of curiosity, if nothing else. If you haven't read the New Testament lately, you are woefully uneducated about the Christian faith. Jesus is the central character of the Bible, the most important person in human history. The most important thing that ever happened in our universe was that God came to earth. So focus on him. Think about him. Read about him. and Commit that you're going to read in relatively short order the entire New Testament. And then number two, as you read it, As you read it, do what it says. If it teaches it, do it. Some of it will be easy. Some of it will be hard. It doesn't matter. Do it. Love your enemies. Forgive those who sin against you. Listen, don't don't give me all the excuses that Christians regularly, routinely, constantly give me. Don't say... You can't. Don't tell me how hard it is. Don't tell me the times have changed. In Jesus' day, listen, when he said love your enemies and, and when he said forgive those, that Jews like Jesus by the hundreds and even the thousands were being crucified. In the first century, when Paul 
began, his letters began to be distributed. Christians were being burned at the stake by the thousands, and yet the teaching was still, love your enemies, forgive those who have sinned against you. In today's world, honestly, because we live in a free country without the persecution that existed there, we have it easy, and we're lying to ourselves if we say we can't. So I guess what I'm telling you, just, just, just take Bible teachings at face value. Name him Jesus, okay? He's Jesus. So honor your parents. Don't get drunk. Give generously to God and the poor. And a hundred more commands. Believe it and obey it. That's our faith. And I know I'm often accused of just kind of preaching the, the simple version, but I do it because I don't want to make it overly complicated. I don't want to delve into the, the third declension of a, a Greek verb. I want to tell you the simple truth. Jesus is God. He came. He died. He rose. And he offers everlasting life and the forgiveness of sins and eternity in heaven to everyone who believes in him. And in the meantime, he says, obey me. It's not overly complicated. That is our faith. And I'm just telling you to very simple, straightforward terms to live it. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church. If we can help you in any way, please contact us. Our information is on our webpage at abcaz.net or you can call us at 623-932-2723. Thank you and may God bless you and your family.